live A-C-U. from the ACU of Texas Studios. This is the Clear Lake Today Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Pots, Pans, and Pat. Today we are live in the Clear Lake Radio uh, studios and we are the Clear Lake Today Podcast Network. Welcome to our very first show uh, on the new network here. Glad you are listening in. You know, for me growing up, the kitchen table was always the heart of our home. It was always where the best conversations always happened with our friends and with our family. So, you know, Thank you for pulling up a chair today and enjoying me around my table. Uh, My name is Pat Mayberry. I am your host and the executive chef at Southern Elegance Catering, and I've got my old friend with me, John Yancey, and we are going to have some fun today. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. Glad to be here. You know, something really special is fixing to happen here in our area. Mardi Gras down in Galveston will be February 14th through February 25th. And I thought, you know, if we're going to talk Mardi Gras, I need me a good Cajun boy to talk Mardi Gras with. So, <laughs> What are some of your early memories growing up in Louisiana, even though you weren't always in the New Orleans area? But, you know, that that's something that kind of takes over the whole state. What are some of your early memories about Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras was, it, it's, of course, as a youngster, you're not going. It's, it's when you get up in your later years uh, because of some of the things that go on at Mardi Gras. But uh, it's just a lot of fun. Go as a group. Don't go by yourself or with just another partner. Go as a big group because it's a big crowd, right. especially in New Orleans and even in Galveston. It's become such a big deal. Uh, but, you know, be cautious of your surroundings, what's going on around you. Have a designated driver, uh, of course. Um, but great times, great times. A lot of fun drinking and, and eating great food and celebrating uh just a a a, an event that is just so much fun you know beads around your neck and and everything else it's just it's it it could be a a a night of craziness to be honest with you (laughs) you know that that's a holiday that as people from france began to immigrate into the u.s and especially settle around the new orleans area that was a tradition that they brought with them so we all know that that New Orleans is the biggest Mardi Gras celebration in the country. What a lot of people don't realize is that Galveston has the second largest Mardi Gras party of anywhere in this country. And, you know, it's it's grown from the time that it kind of was revived. There, there was a time there that Mardi Gras had a huge celebration and then the war came and, and the war movement kind of put a pause in it for a while but it was you kind of brought back into prominence in the 80s and now has grown into this monster event that you can see the island swell to a quarter of a million people down there on a friday or a saturday Mm -hmm. evening which you know is just gigantic populations for that little island. You wonder you wonder how many uh, how they're able to to hold that many people on such a small island. Well, you stand them all up and give them something to drink. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, but it we've come a long way from from the early days of of Mardi Gras down there. So, you know, the 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 mask balls are still a big thing, the parades are still a big thing. What's changed over the years is 
we now see some pretty major musical acts come through mm-hmm. on those weekends. Uh, so it's it's really fun to go down there and be a part of that. But more so than that, there's all this activity with the parades, with the music, but with the food and the restaurants going on down there too. Because this year, Galveston Restaurant Weeks and Mardi Gras are all synced up very close together. So we're going to have like a month-long party down there mm-hmm. from, from the food standpoint mm-hmm. uh, going back and forth. You know, so... When I think Mardi Gras, the first thing that comes to my mind is one of your favorite topics because you and I have spent hours discussing gumbo. What ma- what makes a good gumbo? What what some people think is gumbo? What people ought to know about gumbo? Other than the fact that you got to start with a nice chocolate roux, right? You Boudreaux and Thibodeau did a great job. Yeah. I tell you. And you can't buy it out of a jar. You got nope. You got to do it on the stove yourself. That's with, right. With a lot of stirring. That's right. Hours, hours, <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears on that stove. Exactly. Uh, you know, get your your holy trinity of peppers, onions, and celery sweated down so that it's mm-hmm. ready to go in there. Now, I'm a chicken and sausage gumbo guy. Right. What about you? You know, granted, I grew up on all sorts of different types of gumbo. Uh, it was pretty much anything that that uh, we could catch, basically. Uh, you know, Louisiana is uh, sportsman's paradise, and so uh, we hunt and fish, and and uh, I mean, gosh, you could have anything from what I grew up with, especially eating squirrel gumbo, possum gumbo, that uh, you pretty much anything that is uh, a meat product mm-hmm. uh you can chop up and put in a gumbo there you go uh and and it's it, it's uh it's good stuff uh, so it, i can eat pretty much anything in a pot so uh, uh but you know because uh, we grew up having you know uh, and you of course having you know good sausage in there uh you know deer and sausage and squirrel and sausage and uh, but of course, seafood gumbo is to me just, uh, you know, especially being here on the coast and everything is having that mixture of crab and shrimp and crawfish and, and fish, a good white fish, uh, mixed in with all of that is just yum, yum. Well, especially the fact that we're right here on the Gulf coast. Right. Um, and have the abundance of, exact, of fish products. Ex- exactly. Or because seafood products. Gulf shrimp is some of the best shrimp in the world Mm -hmm. and and we're going to come back to shrimp in a minute because i want to talk about imported shrimp versus gulf shrimp but you know that the the shrimp that comes out of the gulf especially those brown shrimp they're just so big and so full of flavor and Mm -hmm. a little bit of natural sweetness to them that it it's a special taste that you can only get when you make a fresh pot with fresh Mm -hmm. seafood that's fresh caught Mm -hmm. i agree I agree wholeheartelyly down here. Uh, it's you know a lot of your Gulf products, Gulf oysters, yes, are just I mean so popular. That's what makes uh, a, a lot of the Louisiana uh, uh, cafes uh, along the coast. Uh, they do anything and everything with those Gulf oysters, and right. they're some of the best around. They they are and. You know, I've I've been doing a lot of research lately on seafood just in general, but Gulf oysters are typically thought of as the premier oysters uh, in this country. 
Agreed. Now, the ones up in the Pacific Northwest, they're bigger, uh, but they're pretty darn good, too. I don't know if the East Coast has got anything to talk about, but some <laughs> some of those Northwest oysters around you know, Seattle area, Washington state, right. uh, you get in some of those colder waters up there, you get some, some nice, big, fat, juicy oysters. And Oh, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're yummy up there. And too. And you look at those, uh, you know, King crabs and those lobsters that, that come oh, yeah. out of those areas. That, yeah. They're huge. Uh, they, they got a lot of deep water that they can get to. And, uh, that, that, uh, is just really great for, for sea life. Right. Right. And, you know, the, some of this research that I've been doing on seafood is talking about the difference between imported seafood and stuff that we are able to monitor and make sure it's sustainable here in the U.S. The U.S. has done a magnificent job of creating seasons so that our seafood stays sustainable. Um, other countries not so much they're overfishing a lot of the things that that we love crab Mm -hmm. being one of them i mean you mentioned king crab a second ago there are very clear-cut seasons in the you know arctic up there for when you can fish for certain types of crabs now you know the, the the line there between the u.s and russia on the other side of the line, the Russians are overfishing that to a point that we're going to run out of seafood on that side of the line, mm-hmm. run out of crabs. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that as a consumer, you start asking your kitchen, where did those come from? So that you support the, the local fishermen here in the U.S. that are doing it the right way to make sure we'll have crab for years and years and years to come Mm -hmm. as opposed to overfished areas where eventually they're going to be depleted and this price is going to skyrocket. Well, the same thing with uh, cod. Yes. I mean, that is the British. It's like it's their main fish. That's that's where they, you know, for fish and chips. I mean, cod is what they use. And it's been so overfished that, that it's, of course, the price of it has gone up dramatically uh but uh they're having to use other products because sometimes they can't even get caught right. uh, tuna is also becoming a, a, a um something that's been overfished uh blue because fin especially bluefin especially uh and you know if you're a, a like a great tuna steak with a beautiful veracruz sauce on it that is just so tasty yeah uh it's you know it's it's disappointing that things like that are being overfished that that uh you are not able to go to a restaurant and get something like that right uh and, you know that they may not have it in stock uh so it's disappointing uh to and but it's you wonder what do they do with all of it all that is wasted exactly it's it, it's you know it's like what we've we've done and uh, you know growing up in louisiana that when we would go hunting and fishing my grandfather had always made it a point we eat what we catch mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. so don't overfish don't overhunt because if you're not going to be now granted we can use as uh, eat as much of it as we want or, or use as much of it as we want and put the rest of it in the freezer but that's it 
uh, you're going to eat it. Uh, right. period. Uh, so that's how we were raised. But, you know, uh, these fishermen out there that are in, you know, China and Vietnam and other countries, they don't think that way. They're just, they get as much as they can get. And, and whether it goes to waste and dies, it, it, it just doesn't matter. Right. And that's, uh, 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 you know, they, they say that there's a lot of things that we do, uh, you know, here in America that, uh, you know, they don't like and they don't appreciate and everything else. Well, those are things that we don't like, and, you know. And then, of course, with, uh, you know, pollution and everything else, you know, here in America, we're trying to take care of our waters to where we're having clean fish and everything else. But over there, it doesn't matter. It, oh. it, it, you know, so you're getting sometimes polluted, chemically oriented, you know, products uh, which is a little scary for me. You know, anytime I see something that is, you know, a product from over there, I tend to not buy it well, anytime, because I tend to not know what's in it. Anytime I see the words farm raised, right. it, it runs a red flag up for me to begin with. Mm -hmm. But when I see farm raised and it comes from a country other than the U.S., while it may be clean enough to get into this country, mm -hmm. there are no regulations as to how that fish is grown and farmed. So I know for a fact, because there have been papers that have done about human feces being fed to the catfish right. over there. Right. So trust me, I go to a restaurant and I, and I love fried catfish and we're going to talk about fried catfish in a minute, but, uh, My fave, you know, when I go into the restaurant and I see catfish on the menu, the first question I ask is, where did it come mm -hmm. from? And a lot of the time the waitress goes, I don't know. And I said, well, go ask the chef. Right. And she'll go, well, he may not know. I said, all he's got to do, honey, is read the box mm -hmm. that it came in. And a lot of the time they'll come back and go, it came from China. It came from Vietnam. It's like, I'll order something else. Thank you. Right. Yeah. You know, the American farm farming industry for fish has been very sustainable, very well handled, and especially for catfish, head and antlers above mm -hmm. what the rest of the world is doing mm -hmm. on that. So, you know, if you can't catch it yourself, which is still the best catfish of all, because mm -hmm. that's that's truly free range catfish. Uh, you know, if an American farm raised catfish is what you should be asking your local restaurateur to give you uh, as the paying customer so that you know exactly what you're getting. Well, and a lot of these restaurants don't even realize that buying American farm raised catfish, for one, you get to put that on your menu. It may be just a little bit more expensive, but it's not enough to sit there and buy, you know, stuff like Sway and, and uh, some of these other, uh, you know, Chinese, right. Vietnamese, right. Vietnamese catfish that uh, is, is uh, you know, you don't know what's going on with that. Where mm -hmm. American catfish or far, American farm-raised, U.S. farm-raised catfish, uh, you pretty well know that it's been regulated. It's, it's uh, you know, as close to being done right as you can get. Right. So. So if we're going to take that catfish, we're going to fry that bad boy up. Mm -hmm. 
What kind of breading do you like to run your catfish through before you drop it in the oil? Well, of course, mine's mine's a a, a flour a cornmeal mix uh, with a lot of different Cajun seasonings that there go in go. it and everything else that gives it just a little of that. Mm-hmm. But just a you know a, a good light breading of of, of flour with cornmeal uh, just it, it gives it that uh, tenderness and with that little crunch that you need. And of course, my daddy had put together a, an amazing breading that I, you know I've I've used for years and years used it in my cafe uh, so it it, uh, it it's I have a lot of people that have loved my my catfish since my college days uh, when I used to do catfish fries uh, out at Lake Livingston where we would catch all the catfish we could catch and then I would uh, do a uh, a, a, a a catfish fry and just shoot half of, it seems like half of Huntsville would show up uh, for that uh, f- for those good times. You know, the first time I walk into a new restaurant, usually I will order something off the menu that should be very basic. That if you can't do this, mm-hmm. I'm really suspect as to some of the quote unquote specialty dishes that you've got. And I remember the first time I walked into your restaurant. Uh, I ordered a catfish dinner that night and it came out just like you said with this nice mixture of flour and cornmeal which is the way my mom did it but Mm -hmm. the way so many restaurants don't do it anymore Mm -hmm. they just run it through a flour dredge and they're done with it and I went oh that's got cornmeal on it he did it right and it makes such a difference in the flavor Mm -hmm. of the catfish because you do get that little extra crunch from the cornmeal that's in there now Something else that when I think about Mardi Gras, of course, fried catfish and gumbo are right up there at the top. Of course. But, but blackened fish. Black, blackened everything, yeah. You know, that, that's a dish that was truly an accident in Paul Prudhomme's right. kitchen one right. night. You know, he, he was back there, and he was cooking that night, and whoever was on the fish station actually burned a piece of fish that was in the skillet and it was for a table that was a very regular table. And this was back when he was at Commander's. Uh, rather than having the the cook refire it, Prudhomme said, I want to try something. And he put it on a plate and garnished it up. And he sent it out to the table and said, I want you to try this. If you don't like it, we'll, we'll go ahead and do what you want. But... You know, I want you to try this something new we're thinking about, and we're calling it blackened redfish. Mm-hmm. Um, so just try it. Well, the customer raved about it, and that's how blackened redfish came to be. It was yep. truly, truly an accident in the kitchen one night, and somebody burned the fish. Just like most things yeah. are that, that come out <laughs> that are great are pure accidents. But what what's the secret to finding that just right? blackening seasoning so that it's not too hot and that it doesn't scorch so bad while it's in that skillet that it truly does pick up that flavor of being burned as opposed to just well charred right and 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 of course i i make up with you know my dad's a variety of seasonings that he put together of, of a good blackened seasoning. And, you, of course, you're using pepper and cayenne and, and all sorts of other flavors uh, to get in that. And so it's already got a dark 
texture on it. Mm-hmm. So when you're searing it in there and you're actually using an iron skillet or uh, uh, or a really an iron flat skillet is the best thing to use. And you try as you have your, uh, now granted I cook everything in butter and a lot of people is just use oil. Uh, exactly, is there anything <laughs> else that you cook with? But uh, what you try to do is get that flame to come literally on the skillet and you're literally burn sear, flame searing that uh, on that skillet. Uh, that iron skillet with with uh, and you're so you're searing those seasonings yes. into that fish and it gives it a crispiness around it and and you, you've got to pay attention to it because you can overcook it you can thoroughly burn it to where you know you can ruin it exactly. uh, and it does take practice and granted I've had a lot of practice throughout the years <laughs> and and have have made a, I actually made a uh, for um, uh, Thanksgiving, instead of having a, a traditional Thanksgiving dinner, my family decided to have a Cajun Christmas, and so we did blackened catfish with etouffee and and uh, uh, blackened uh, shrimp. So uh, and with dirty rice and the good and 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 um, uh, you know some of the uh, vegetables that we use, and it, it, it we all loved it because that's how we we uh, had grown up. Uh, those are the things we ate, and and we just nobody wanted turkey this year for right. some reason at Thanksgiving, <laughs> and, and and of course every year at, at um, uh, Christmas Christmas Eve uh, is we we have a of course Christmas Eve uh, gumbo, and so we make our gumbo, and and that's what uh, you know because you're hustling around and and going to uh, events and Christmas service and uh, Eve service and. Um, and so uh, gumbo is just really easy to, uh, you can let it sit there and stay warm on the stove. You come home, you, uh, pour it over a, a nice bed of rice and you're there, ready to go. Yeah, and go. then have, you know, some, uh, uh, buttery, uh, baguettes and, and uh, yeah, it's just good stuff. You know, one of the things I love about Cajun slash Creole cuisine in general is so much of it is food that has got a lot of love put in it but really and truly you spend a little time on in the beginning of the process to get it ready but then you just kind of turn the burner down on low and can walk away and the pot does the rest That's for right. you right you know, and you get these just delectable dishes that are you know braised basically over an extended period of time in a pot so that it's wonderful so you mentioned etouffee mm-hmm. now there's shrimp, chicken, crawfish etouffee. What's 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 your go-to etouffee? Mine is my brother's etouffee. It's called Papa's etouffee. Okay, and it's uh, it's it's shrimp and crawfish and andouille sausage, okay. and uh, that's what I'd served in my restaurant. And and uh, it is uh, I've had a lot of chefs that have uh, had that etouffee. And of course, uh, pouring that over a blackened catfish or mm-hmm. or a blackened mm-hmm. redfish uh, just is is dynamite. But 
uh, that's my go-to is, uh, is I love shrimp, I love crawfish, and I love sausage. And, and putting those combinations together, it's not just shrimp etouffee or crawfish etouffee. It's that combination. There are some people, unfortunately, I don't know how, but they don't like crawfish, so they would rather have just shrimp etouffee. They're the ones that came in from New York City. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're not around from here. They're not they from around from here. here. So... Uh, but, you know, and, and that's the, the great thing about, you know, uh, the Galveston County and, and you know, the, the south side Harris County area, that there is such a strong influence of, of uh, transplant uh, uh, Louisians that, that have come over and uh and that have moved moved over here and 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 have brought their their taste and their flavors and so you know our our uh, taste buds you know here have 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 grown now my taste buds have always been this way people mm-hmm. ask me all the time is that spicy i'm the wrong person to ask <laughs> because uh, there's not a whole lot that i think is real spicy right uh but it it is uh, you know our palate though is is so unique and 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 uh and uh, uh just profound here uh in in the houston area uh, that we have such a variety of different restaurants and, and, and everything else. And, of course, Saget has stated that if you can open a restaurant, doesn't matter what kind of restaurant, and, and survive and make it in Houston, you can pretty much open one anywhere. Exactly. Uh, but we have more uh, diversification in uh, 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 Houston than anywhere in the world. Uh, is I mean because of of the Hispanic influence, the French, the German. I mean every kind of influence you can think of. Uh, uh, you know the Middle Eastern influence. Everything is right here in Houston. Asian influence. Everything. And so it's great that there's uh, restaurants that actually combine a lot of those influences, yes. and you get this you kind know maybe a French thing. Asian combination or or you know. Uh, uh, there, I've even seen uh, at with uh, some of the Vietnamese restaurants to where they're doing a Vietnamese Cajun style restaurant. Yes, and it's the food is absolutely amazing, but they're they're using you know their their spi- Vietnamese spices along with Cajun spices and creating some of the most amazing dishes. You know, I saw something on the Food Network a while back that was talking about texas in general that while new york city may still be the most diverse city in the country from a food standpoint people are looking at texas now as the state Mm -hmm. that is the most diverse because as you pointed out we've got all of our friends from louisiana that you know sadly katrina displaced a lot of them right uh but they they have settled here and we're grateful because they brought that creole and cajun uh flavor profile we've got the border along the mexican border there that brings us one flavor but then as you go deeper in to the interior you get a whole different kind of flavor out of mexico Mm -hmm. Uh, so you've got the border mexican food then you've got interior mexican food we we're sitting here on the gulf coast so we've got access to just amazing seafood pretty much year round uh, you go out in West Texas, you start getting influences 
from New Mexico with the hatch chilies and some of the chilies that grow over there, which are totally different than what we have here on the eastern side of the state. So a whole nother flavor profile happens there. You've got huge German influence Mm -hmm. uh, in central Texas. You've got three major cities here between Dallas, San Antonio, Austin is basically one city now, and and Houston uh, with not only Asian but Indian influences and, you know, amazing restaurants again. So the diversity here in this part of the country is all over the place. Plus, we're still proud of the fact that we can do things with a cow over an open flame that nobody else in the country has figured out how to do yet. Yeah. Now I I will give it to my friends in in the Carolinas. Y'all cook a good pig over there, but when it comes to cooking a cow, you still got to tip your hat to us boys here in Texas because nobody does it like a Texan. That's right. Well, of course we Texify everything. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, something I used to order when I came to to see you off, off a lot was, you made a dish called a ragu. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that a ragu, when they, see, when they hear that word, they think Italian food, mm-hmm. but it's really a word that, that came out of a dish in France. Mm-hmm. And since Creole and Cajun cuisine come from French roots, it's truly a French dish. What is a ragu and how does that differentiate from etouffee? Well, a ragu, uh, you know, of course, it's, it's a, it is a popular dish, uh, even in New Orleans, that... Uh, it, it's a Cajun French, uh, like you say, it, it originally is a French dish that was Cajified, you know, I guess you could say. And it is, you do all the preparations that you would do with a, uh, a gumbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got your roux, you've got your, your Holy Trinity uh, set up uh, that you saute that down. But instead, you know, I added color. Uh, with mine instead of using green bell peppers I use colored bell peppers uh, using the red and yellow and orange uh, that gave it some color and texture to it Uh, but you you it's basically the same uh, setup and of course I did a a chicken and sausage Mm -hmm. uh, ragu uh, which uh, just basically a shredded chicken with uh, andouille sausage and uh, but it's a blonde roux Instead of that deep chocolate roux, you don't cook it down as as, as long. You get it to a nice, rich, uh, golden blonde color uh, that, uh, you know, it becomes perfect. And then you just mix it in uh, with the rest of your spices and, and uh, uh, chicken stock and everything else. And, and uh, but, you know, of course, I did it uh, a little thicker. It's not really a soup. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's more of a, gr- uh, of a rich, true yes. gravy. Yes. Uh, and so it literally, when you lay that on a bed of rice or even gosh, mashed potatoes, I loved it on mashed potatoes too. Uh, that, that it, it just, it literally just, it holds together and it's just got this rich, uh, rib, rib warming, yes. uh, yes. flavor that it just stuck with you and just, oh gosh, it was just, just so good. Now, two other things that you mentioned. Dirty rice and jambalaya. Mm-hmm. Two things that I dearly, dearly love, but two things that a lot of people don't really understand. 
the differences between the two. I've heard people actually confuse the two when when they talk about them, and there's clear differences between the two. So what oh, is definitely. what is jambalaya, and what is dirty rice? Well, dirty rice is basically it's it's rice with uh, meat products. Uh, it, uh, there, uh, of course, I grew up, and I don't do it in a restaurant because a lot of people don't eat that kind of stuff but they would put you know innards and gizzards and liver and, I was gonna and say, chicken, all chicken livers are what i think of. right and uh that that you know would be ground up and and then that would go in it basically most people uh use a combination of uh hamburger meat and uh and pork sausage right uh basically a breakfast sausage and mix that together and that's where you're getting your your meat from uh and it's not a whole lot it's just enough to give it the you know a little bit of flavor and texture and and uh then you got your bell peppers and and, and onions and uh well basically your holy trinity right. uh, because that pretty much goes in everything, everything. uh and spices and so that's the combination and then you're mixing that all up together as it's simmering uh when you're cooking your rice you're cooking everything together and so you um uh you boil it down and uh but you you stir it up and then you add your water so you've actually mixed your rice in that mixture of all of that stuff and then it's all boiled down right uh and and that's how you get your dirty rice okay uh now your uh jambalaya is tomato base so you're using uh a mixture of of course your holy trinity and uh and tomatoes and and you're cooking that all together in your rice with spices and everything else so uh and then of course top it with good creole uh that that's how we do it you can eat it uh which we call that wetting your jambalaya okay uh you could eat regular jambalaya which is is just your rice dish but then to wet it with creole it just adds that little bit more uh to it uh but it it's a uh um, a, a tomato base uh, that, uh, mix that goes into a jambalaya. Okay. And it's it's actually much simpler than people think. It, it's a lot of prep time because you're dicing everything up. But once you get it going, uh, I mean, you can actually uh, – my sister does it uh, to where it's almost like a, a, a souffle almost. She puts it all in, puts it in a casserole dish, sticks it in the oven, and uh, uh, and lets it, it – recovers it and lets it rise and do what it's supposed to. Right. And then when she pulls it out, mixes it up in that, in that casserole dish, and oh, my gosh, it's just great. Uh, or you can do it in a pot. It, it uh, you know, right there on the stove. If 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 you've got the time to sit there and stir it up and everything else, but all you're doing is putting a lid over it and 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 uh, uh, letting it uh, heat up, basically the same way. You know, one of the things that boiling it down that you and I have said several times as we talk about the Holy Trinity. If you're not sure what the Holy Trinity is, it is what grows easily in the Louisiana ground, mm -hmm. which is going to be typically half onion, one quarter bell pepper, one quarter celery, 
which is slightly different than what the classic French mirepoix is, which is half onion, one quarter carrot, one quarter celery. Mm-hmm. Carrots don't grow well in that nasty dirt that's <laughs> that over there. That swampy dirt. That swampy dirt. So, you know, what I loved was bell peppers grew quite easily in that dirt over there and y'all found a way to take one of those those vegetables and marry it into a dish Mm -hmm. to create something new and different without necessarily losing the french uh origins of a dish right per se you know there was a little more sweetness that came out of that carrot than that bell pepper but um, you know, it, it, you didn't lose the, the roots of the dish at right. the same time. Now, is it fair to say the difference between Creole food and Cajun food is a tomato? Yes, because, absolutely. Because the, the Creoles were the folks that lived in the city and basically could go to the grocery store any time where the Cajuns were the ones that lived outside the city and, and grew most of what they grew or trapped mm-hmm. uh, whatever they ate. So only tomatoes were part of their diet when right. they were in season. Right. And, and, and that's how some people differentiate, uh, you know, with even with, with a gumbo is there is a Creole style gumbo, which is soupy. And then there is a Cajun style gumbo, which is more gravy like. Right. And of course my family makes uh, a, a, a more Cajun I guess style gra- uh, a gumbo. Uh, we like ours just a little bit thicker. It is. It does have a. It's sort of like right in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that is uh, uh, you know the popular way of how we like it. Uh, but then there's other uh, areas of, of of Louisiana, especially Lake Charles, that they like theirs more of a soupy Creole uh, way. Um, which the the roux it's not as much of a flour base uh roux as what we do i mean basically it's it's as much oil uh you know if you're making a a gumbo you're using uh one cup of oil to one cup of flour and you're mixing that in and that's what you're getting your roux well with uh, with a creole way you're not doing as much uh flour in it uh, and then you're also using more of a, a, a tomato base in your gumbo, and that's more of the Creole way of, of making gumbo. And, of course, we add uh, – I've had South Louisiana people that, that have eaten my gumbo, and, and they always want to know where my family's from with our gumbo, and we're from Natchitoches, uh, uh, which is a beautiful parish in North Louisiana uh, that – we put tomatoes in everything. I mm-hmm. grew up eating tomato sandwiches, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. a slice of bread, a little mayo, salt and pepper, boom, best sandwich in the world. Because mm-hmm. uh, we got it right out of the garden, right, right. outside. You exactly. went out and got exactly. you a fresh tomato, sliced it, washed it, sliced it up, and it was ready to go. Um, you know, so I, do, I don't overwhelm it with tomatoes, but I just put just enough diced tomatoes that it gives it a little bit of texture, a little bit of that flavor, uh, that, 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 uh, that, that, I guess that acid that a tomato will give, uh, just to give it, uh, you know, some oomph right. that wouldn't come in a, in a, in a regular, 
uh, gumbo. So, uh, but you know, it's it's like we've always said. You know, you and I've talked about it. Gumbo is is like Texas chili. It's whatever you exactly. got in the refrigerator. You put in a pot and you boil it down, and there it is. Exactly. So you, uh, you save the little scraps here and the little scraps there. When you got right. enough scraps, it's time for a bowl of gumbo. That's right. Uh, you, you, you're basically what you're doing is you're cleansing your refrigerator. Exactly. Because uh, you're cleaning it out, and and uh, you know a good pot of gumbo. There it is. You know, but the best part of that is nothing goes to waste. No, that way. exactly. Yeah, you, know, you get basically a free meal mm-hmm. once a week out of out of all those scraps that that you you had a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of something else. And the next thing you know, you got a big old pot of gumbo and, right. and everybody's happy. Well, it's just it's that old uh, uh, saying that has always been around, and my mama's mama has always, you know, she, she uh, always said it. You know, waste not, want not. Exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, growing up as a uh, 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 in Arkansas, that uh, you know they were poor, and so they didn't waste anything. I mean, they used uh, even a head of lettuce. Yes. They used. They didn't even throw the core away because they used the core for flavor in 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 stew. Right. So uh, the uh, which is unbelievable because we throw you know now you bust out that core and you throw it away. Exactly. Not there and not you know in 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 days of old is they used it all. They ate everything. So you soften a core up and some spices it's not bad so <laughs> exactly uh, but people you know uh, have developed a different palate a little more spoiled uh in their uh, way of eating that they consider that uh you know garbage food uh it's like skirt steak my daddy worked when he was a teenager <laughs> he worked in a in a a a, a, a butcher shop uh there in Natchitoches and uh they they, they basically away. they basically were throwing that stuff out yeah and throwing it in the trash and now look at skirt steak it, it, it's nine, fajita 9.99 it, a pound exactly it's as expensive as as some yeah. of your top choice steaks exactly uh because it it has become so popular as fajita meat but uh you know that's what uh you know um the Mexican culture, I mean, they just like Cajuns. I mean, you they use everything. everything. Nothing goes to waste. And uh, but uh, you you pound a, a skirt steak enough and and tenderize it down and put it on a grill with some seasonings. Mm good. Exactly. But you know there is a difference since we're talking about skirt steak. Um, there is a difference between an inside skirt yeah. and an outside skirt. And, you know, the inside skirt is what most people will use for their fajitas. The outside skirt is something they're going to do more uh, like a carne gusada. Right. Where they're going to, again, braise it for an extended period of time and let some of that toughness of the meat cook down uh, over a period of time. And, you know, one of those one of those braised dishes that I absolutely love when I think of Louisiana is uh, sauce piquant. Mm. And basically, whatever you put in it, it becomes that sauce piquant. Right. So, you know, it can be gator sauce piquant. It can be chicken sauce piquant. Uh, but it's a dish that's designed to put in the oven and let braise for an extended period of time uh, and let that meat just really break down to the point that it almost wants to fall apart. Right. And then spoon it over a bed of rice again. You know, the, the soaks the, up the goodness the, the the carb people are dying right now because everybody everything's got spooned over a scoop of rice but right 
But hey, rice is good for you. Okay? That's right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Asians have been eating it for a good gosh. Uh, and and they live to be 115 years old, so it, it must be doing somebody good. But one of the things that I love about a sauce piquant is it's not as thick no. a, a, a sauce as, say, your etouffees. Right. Uh, it's a thinner sauce, almost a soup-like sauce, clear soup-type sauce that, you know, really and truly will mix in with that rice and really get super yummy and and keep it super moist and you can break that chicken up or whatever it is and almost eat it like a soup but it's one of it to me it's one of those go-to things that i can spend 30 minutes doing the prep on it stick it in the oven walk away two hours later it's done mm-hmm. it, it was the original instapot dish yeah. right <laughs> right exactly yeah and, and with all the the sudden resurgence of braising thanks to instapot Mm -hmm. you know dishes like this i hope are going to come back into fashion as people rediscover them and go golly gee that's good and it's so easy to do yeah you're going to see a lot more pot roast type you know items because it's put it in and leave it and let it do its job right now on the 30th of last month we celebrated national croissant day and I only bring that up because croissants are one of those things that to me, when I think about Louisiana cuisine, mm-hmm. I, I, I always got to make sure I save a little bit of room for the bread pudding at the end of the oh, day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And a little bit of French bread and a little bit of croissants kind of all mixed together in a 50, 50 blend. Right. Uh, make just this most amazing bread pudding. Yeah, it does. And, you know, and I know you and I've, talked bread pudding and actually made bread pudding uh for each other for a long time what what's a great bread pudding in your opinion well i mean granted you got such a variety you make an amazing bread pudding with dates and almonds right the the normal uh, well i shouldn't say normal but the, the the traditional bread pudding raisins right and you know some people use almonds some people use pecans uh, so it, it, and that's pecans, not pecans. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm teasing and making fun, I always say I eat a pecan pie, uh, <laughs> just to irritate my mama. But anyway, it, it is, uh, you know, raisins are granted how I grew up eating a, a bread pudding. But once I had Pat's, uh, date, uh, bread pudding. Oh my gosh, folks! If you haven't had a great bread pudding, that date and almond uh, bread pudding that, that that Chef Pat does is is absolutely amazing. Top it with a little praline sauce. Oh yeah. You know if if you're doing a underage party, that's great. If you're doing a of age party, a bourbon maybe a little bourbon praline sauce yeah. is even better. So <laughs> yes, yes sir, yes sir. So, and of course, you get along with that 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 bread pudding, uh, you know, and it, you keep in with the, like you're talking about croissants. Then then you throw beignets in there. Exactly. Boom. And again, you're using and, and you're it's, using it's, up all your leftovers. Right. It's a Cajun donut with powdered sugar. It's it's it, it just doesn't have the donut hole. Right. It's it's just a puff pastry, uh, basically that uh, with powdered sugar on it that you can't stop eating. At one point, I was in a restaurant and. 
we made biscuits every morning for breakfast. So we would usually have a few biscuits left over and we had cinnamon rolls that we did daily. So we'd have cinnamon rolls left over. And then at the end of the night, we'd have, you know, dinner rolls left over. So basically at the end of the night, I would take all these things and I would kind of pull them apart and just throw them in a pan and leave them in, in one of the warmers for two or three hours and let that bread really get good mm-hmm. and dried out. And every three or four days, I got a free pan of dessert, basically, right. either for my staff or, or if I wanted to turn around and, and plate it up and sell it. You know, it wasn't an everyday menu item. It would be a daily special kind of thing. But just use all that leftover bread yeah. that we had uh, from from each service and make bread pudding out of it. And it got to be fun to see what all I could do with with bread pudding right. during certain times of the year in the fall you know, you mix a little pumpkin puree in there and mm-hmm. you know have a pumpkin bread pudding and uh you know so it was it was always fun to play with the the leftover bread and see what what i could come up with and there again waste not want, want not. not exactly and that's what i love about never being wasteful about the creole cajun food to begin with is they were mindful of what they had. They know how hard they worked to to raise it mm-hmm. in so many cases or hunt it down in so many cases. So they wanted to make sure they got everything out of it that they could. And something you could eat for a few days. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, bread pudding is the the go-to dessert that i always think of but what are a couple other great desserts that when you think louisiana come to mind well of course uh, you know uh you're uh for mardi gras you got to have a king cake oh yes so it's basically uh you know a sweet cake with a uh, just a hint of a pecan flavor but what makes it is it's got the Mardi Gras colors. Yes. It's got your green and gold and purple. And and that is typically sprinkled sugar covering it on top. So you've got green sprinkled sugar, you got purple sprinkled sugar and gold sprinkled sugar that's covering the top for a neat design. You know, it's a simple cake, uh, almost like a, a, a buttery pound cake. Uh, kind of, uh, but it's it, you know it's got this sweetness to it, and uh, but that's that is you if you're doing Mardi Gras, you have to have a king cake, period. You know some bread pudding, and then a king cake, because uh, it's it's really for show, <laughs> right? But it's still good, right? You know those colors of purple, green, and gold. I've heard two stories, and I don't know if you can clear this up for me i've heard two stories as to how those colors became the colors of mardi gras story number one was there was a russian grand duke his name was alexis romanov and those were the colors of his house and in 1872 uh he happened to have the opportunity to be king of carnival and rex uh said we're going to use the colors of my house. And that's how the green, gold, and purple came to be. Now, the other thing that I heard was that those were happened to be the colors of the Catholic diocese in New Orleans. Either way, both, both stories 
say that the colors have representation, that the purple represents justice, the green stands for faith, and the gold stands for power. Right. Which, which of those stories were you told growing up? I, I've heard both. And, and you know, of course, uh, gosh, uh, uh, being a, a you know, uh, grow, uh, growing part of, growing up part of my life there in Louisiana is, is you're with some of the, uh, the, some of the people that, that you go fishing or hunting with. Oh, goodness gracious. It, everything's a tall tale. I mean, a, a, a catfish, a fish that somebody caught, you know, uh turned in you know from six inches to about you know two feet you know uh from you know a pound to 10 pounds i mean my goodness gracious so you never know uh i i tend to stand by uh more of the 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 religious aspect of it that it was more of the church uh than it was uh uh of but the, you know you can you can think about it you know the, it could have been a a Russian Catholic scenario all in one and it, who knows who knows it, it, the story how the stories could uh, you know even be combined almost uh, the, of 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 those traditions uh, and and it's just like how anything is passed down you can have a line of ten people and the first person starts a statement and by the time it gets to the ten perth tenth person it's completely different from how it started so you never know and but like i say the traditional to uh of of how we always talked about it because of course i uh uh many of my family uh from uh there in louisiana is are catholic and and so they uh, our family tends to judge the catholic uh, version of it now i know mardi gras typically has no hard and fast start date you know the 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 way the christian calendar runs the 12th day after christmas is supposedly the day that the magi finally got to bethlehem to see christ so 12 days from there takes you to january the 5th or yeah january 5th january 5th all the way up until what we call fat tuesday any of that time frame there is when Mardi Gras season can begin mm-hmm. in an in an area, but Fat Tuesday is the traditional ending point uh, for it with the biggest parades, the biggest parties, right. the biggest meals, and of course, so many people look at Fat Tuesday and call it Shrove Tuesday or right. pa- or Pancake Tuesday, right? Because they're trying to use up all the fats in the house because that's what they're giving up for the Lenten season. Right. Um, what are, what are your, some of your fat Tuesday memories? Well, uh, granted, uh, uh, <laughs> Louisiana people, uh, think that, uh, 363 days out of the year is a celebration, uh, because Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas were already taken. So, uh, it, it's, it, you can go to bourbon street at any time and it's a celebration every single day. Every day. Uh, and, and granted, to be honest with you, I enjoy going to New Orleans in the off season. I would rather go there because I can enjoy myself, uh, in, in some of the street fairs. Yes. Uh, much more you're not being bounced around uh, by all the people um, and and so me, to me it's it's a lot more fun 
uh, uh, but you know, people that that's their whole goal is driving in for Mardi Gras, uh, that, that that's what they're coming for. Uh, but for somebody like me, it, it, it's, you know, uh, it, it, it's like the waterfront here in Clear Lake. If I'm going to come out here, I'm going to come here during the off seasons because I'm not dealing with a bunch of tourists, right, you know, I'm right. actually dealing with a, you know, the community people and, uh, and, and enjoying a little quieter time, uh, even though it's never quiet in, in New Orleans, but, uh, you know, it, it, uh, you know, the, the good times is, of, of New Orleans is, is it's anytime you go and Mardi Gras, it's, it's a great celebration and, and the foods, Gosh, you, you could go on and on and on oh, yeah. and on and on oh, yeah. uh, of the different because uh, there's so many new, uh, well, and, and old uh, New Orleans chefs that are there that are creating new things. It's like I, I was going through uh, some of the, the foods uh, that uh, of what was going on, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago and, 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 and even older to some of the new stuff. And of sure. course, now because of the vegan uh, craze that there's vegan foods that instead of using, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the same stuff, but you know, they're not using the dairy in it and the, and the, the, the flour it's, it's, it, the, it's the same type of deal, but the flavor has, has changed right, because right. they're trying to, uh, to, keep, up with the times. to keep up with the times and, uh, and people's diets and, and so on and so forth. So, but, um, yeah, but I, I think I think a New Orleans especially, and and I used to love to go about two weeks before the big parades, right? Hit. Because the little the little cities like Slidell mm-hmm. and Kenner and some of those places are Metairie are starting to do parades in their little communities because right. they that that last say week before everything is down in the quarter at that point well and you get to and you get to walk around and see them setting up exactly that's what's so much fun so i used to love to go to those and you know get to witness some of the smaller parades just as much energy just as much fun oh yeah not nearly as dangerous as being down in the quarter right when when everybody is three sheets to the wind yeah yeah (laughs) they don't even know their own name exactly but you know talking about the foods You've got those classic New Orleans dishes like, you know, Oysters Rockefeller. Right. That if you go to New Orleans, whether you are an oyster lover or not, you need to order that mm-hmm. because you don't realize how good that is. That is classic French cuisine mm-hmm. done with a New Orleans twist that is just amazing. And I am one of those. I am not a big oyster person. Right. You know, if you don't fry it, I don't eat it. <laughs> You know, but oysters Rockefeller is an exception right. that I will make. I, you know, anytime I can get into Anton's and and get a plate of those, I am down. Fried, yeah. baked, grilled. <laughs> I am down for that. So um, we need to bring this to a close. We could probably talk two more hours, but um, thanks for stopping in and joining me today around the table. And talking Mardi Gras, talking New Orleans, talking all things food. And that's still the motto here with Pots, Pans, and Pat is if we're talking food, nothing is off the table. John, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Before I go, I'd just like to say 
to all of my Norwegian family out there. Here's a great big Hilson Fra Texas. And for all my lone survivor friends and family out there, please remember Mama Chef and Papa Chef always got your six. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you guys next week. Uh, Tune in every Monday. And until then, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.